Welcome back to the Feel Good Parenthood podcast. You have just got stuck today and I am so incredibly thrilled to be joined by one of my close friends, Ash. So Ash and I have known each other for almost six years now. We were lucky enough to meet in mum's group with our our eldest babies. Um, And the reason we've got Ash on today is because we want to chat through a pretty sensitive topic, but one that we believe, you know, needs to be spoken about far more often because so many people struggle through this and struggle through it silently and potentially don't even know that it's a problem until it happens to them or someone that they know. So Ash is joining us today to discuss or chat through her experience with secondary infertility. So... Um, Ash, I'm going to hand it over to you. You can introduce yourself, you know, sort of tell us about yourself. (laughs) Thanks. Um, Yeah, so I am Ash. Um, I'm a mum now to um, two little girls Earthside. Um, We also had five recurrent miscarriages between my eldest and my second born, who's now eight weeks old. Um, And, yeah, I suppose that's... That's me in a nutshell. <laughs> very, very like it was brief kind of chat about God, so much like trauma realistically to get yeah. your, to get our beautiful sage here, um, who we're so grateful for now. Um, but Ash hasn't just gone through, yeah, secondary infertility. Like she said, she's been through recurrent miscarriages. She's also been through molar pregnancies, which I know I certainly had no idea that that was even a thing or what it was until it happened to you. So, um, Ash, I'd love if you could talk us through sort of, you know, your experiences with each pregnancy. Like we know that some of them were sort of early losses, but then some of them were the molar pregnancies, which did add an extra layer of complexity onto your, you know, your journey to have Sage. Um, so if you could sort of just chat us through like what, what happened? Yeah. How did it yeah. Go? Um, so, our firstborn was nearly two when we decided to try again um, and it was kind of always our plan to have um, babies similar in age you know kind of close together um, so I got off the I was on the Implanon we took that out in August um, and with plans to kind of I suppose conceive straight away as that was our previous experience with Kyla um, you know we started trying and three months later we were pregnant and nine months later, she arrived happy and healthy. Um, so we started trying in August. We were pregnant by November. Um, unfortunately, we did have a five-week miscarriage. Um, but it was definitely one of those things that, you know, we know how common it is. So we just thought, you know, it was a miscarriage and it was really upsetting. But, you know, the next time it'll be okay. Um, you know, we went to the doctors and they were like, you know, it could have been X, Y, and Z. Usually when pregnancies don't progress, it's because there is an issue and, you know, it's kind of, I suppose, for the better that things happen as they happen. Um, so we very quickly started trying again. Um, we fell pregnant again in March um, and again had a six-week miscarriage. Um, and again, the doctors said, you know, two is normal if you have a third, come back and then we'll see where we're at. Um, and we thought, yep, sure, doctors know best. Let's just keep going. Uh, we got pregnant again in April um, and we made it to seven weeks. And then I had a really big bleed um, and thought we were for sure having a miscarriage. Um, my 
now fiance stayed home with our daughter and my mum came and picked me up and took me to the hospital. Um, they did a urine sample and the urine was nearly entirely blood and they were kind of like, look, it doesn't look good. Um, we'll keep you in overnight because you are bleeding quite heavily and we'll do an ultrasound in the morning um, and kind of see where things are at. Um, we did the ultrasound the next day and I was still pregnant. Um, we were meant to be seven and a half weeks and we were only measuring five and a half. Um, so they said, you know, you've probably just got your date wrong and maybe it's just, you know, you've got a subchronic hematoma and things look okay for now. There's nothing we can do either way. Go home, rest, see how things go. Um, I was 100% confident that I was meant to be seven and a half weeks pregnant. Like we were tracking ovulation. Yeah. I knew when I got pregnant, if I was only five and a half, I would have got a positive pregnancy test at three weeks. And I tried to explain this to them. And I was like, look, I'm not a doctor, but that's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, either way, we can't help you. Like there's nothing we can do. Um, so we went home, we had another scan booked for three weeks later. Um, at that scan, we still had a heartbeat. We were still pregnant. Our baby was now only measuring seven weeks. So they'd only grown a week and a half in three weeks. And I was still like, this is not right. This is not okay. And again, we, well, you know, all we can see is that you're pregnant and it looks like a healthy pregnancy for seven weeks. But, you know, again, there's nothing we can do. Um, so we went back again another two weeks later when we should have been 12 weeks. Um, our baby's heart had stopped beating at that point. Um, we, um, sorry, <laughs> we, <You're right. laughs> um, so our options were kind of, you know, go home, let it progress naturally, or you can come in for a DNC. Um, at that point, our oldest was two and a half. She was home with me every day. Um, I was not super comfortable miscarrying at home, knowing she was with me. Um, you know, my mum. I can't imagine me, why on earth not. No, like, you know, what a ridiculous thing to offer. Yeah, and my mum was like, you know, I can have Kyla. You know, if you don't want to do the surgery, if you want to, um, you know, because I was in this place of I want to, you know, possibly be able to see my baby and de like deliver. And I didn't, you know, it felt uncomfortable knowing that, you know, for lack of better words, that they were just going to scrape my baby out and yeah put her and yeah. send her off um and you know we did decide eventually to go through with the dnc um they did that and then they kind of said you know um you know you're welcome to try just keep trying um you know you've had three but two were really early so you know try again see what happens um we got a call four weeks later we hadn't tried during that time which was um quite lucky um, we got a call from the hospital and they asked me to come back in because they'd done some testing um, and things were not looking normal. Um, they called me on like a Friday and my follow-up appointment was not until the following Wednesday. Um, and they're like, you know, you've had a partial molar pregnancy. We can't really tell you much else over the phone, but we need you to come back in. Um, and I, like I'd never heard the term partial molar until there's a receptionist on the other end saying, come on in. Um, and when you Google partial molar pregnancy, the first things that come up are cancer, hysterectomy, chemotherapy. Um, yeah. And I spent the next four days in a panic thinking that I was, A, never going to have kids again. They were going to take my womb. I might end up with cancer. You know, it was this 
whole shit show. Um, but it's so bad, isn't it? That like yeah, they, they just would just it's like get a receptionist to call you and just be like, hey, by the way, you know, last possible <laughs> yeah. pregnancy, like cancer and shit. But you know, just come in on Wednesday. You'll yeah, be, I'm sure yeah. you're fine. Like, yeah, yeah, it was like, God. what the fuck is happening? Yeah, <laughs> and then we went in for that appointment, um, and they kind of explained it to us a little bit more. Um, and I've now learned a lot more about it. Um, mm. But it's essentially, in our case, um, my egg was met with two sperm, which is meant to be a scientific improbability. It's not meant to happen. Um, so then the baby ends up with three full sets of chromosomes. So they've got two full sets from my partner, Connor, and one full set mm. from myself. So mm. they're, they're incompatible with life. They never... Um, were going to survive um, if they made it. So um, that's kind of where we were at. And we had to go for, um, I had, I say we, it was me. I had to go for, <laughs> for weekly blood tests um, for the next three months to make sure that my HCG pregnancy hormones were dropping as they should be. Because um, with a partial molar, you end up with a mass of cysts where your placenta should form. Um, so those cysts can turn cancerous and um, they obviously with a DNC, they try to get everything, but there's always the possibility that the cysts regenerate. Um, so they make sure that your HCG is dropping um, so that, you know, keep an eye on um, that things are doing what they're supposed to be doing and that I didn't end up with cancer. Um, mm, which was, sense. yeah, which was, you know, the most like high anxiety, stressful period of every Monday heading to the hospital and then waiting those four or five hours for a phone call of, you know, yes, this is your level today. This is your level today. This is how much it's dropped. Um, particularly towards the end, I had weeks of, um, you know, my HCG was 11 and then it was 11 and then it was 10 and it was 10. Um, and they were like, you know, if it doesn't kind of, get below 10 this next week, we're going to have to send you um, to the cancer centre just to check and see and maybe it's just one round of chemo that you need. Um, and I was very fortunate that I got my period um, that following week and that seemed to, I guess, flush the rest of it out. Clear everything my, out, yeah. Yeah, my HCG was then five the following week. Um, yeah. So they were happy with that. Um and then again, off you go and you can continue trying if you like. Um, yeah, and your first partial molar is it's a 1 in 1,200 chance of occurring. Um, with a second, it's a 1 in 100. Um, but they were very clear that, you know, that's a 99% probability that you won't have a second, that you will go on to have a health pregnancy. Yeah. Um, and we very much clung to that. Um, mm. And so we did. We started trying to conceive again. Um, we got pregnant within a couple of months um, and we had another six-week loss um, and then we got pregnant again around Christmas um, and we made it to the seven-week ultrasound and everything looked perfect. Um, I hadn't had any bleeding. We were measuring like two days behind and they were like, you know, that's so minimal, it's nothing. Um, and we really thought, you know, this was, this was going to be it. Um, and then we made it to that 12-week ultrasound and, again, our baby's heart had stopped beating. She was measuring about nine weeks. Um, 
but obviously somewhere in that time um, she had passed. Um, and I was again offered the choice of a DNC or to go naturally at home. Um, they were kind of leaning towards a DNC given our history because they wanted to make sure that they could send um, our placenta and baby off to pathology. Um, so they said, you know, if we went home, we would then have to bring baby in, um, you know, in a container. They would need to take it and test it. Um, so I was like, okay, let's just let's just do the DNC. Like, mm, yeah. Um, yeah, and this was in the height of COVID. Um, mm-hmm. So it became a, another shit show. Um, mm-hmm. We obviously were waiting for results and they said, don't try to get pregnant in this time because in case it was a partial molar, you can't get pregnant while we're doing the testing. Like we need to know whether, you know, if you're pregnant, we can't track your HCG for cancer versus a pregnancy. Um, So we obviously stopped trying. um, And then it took a good 12 weeks for those results to come back. Um, And granted, I was probably very annoying, but the people on the other end of the phone who I was trying to get results off became very short with me and were very much like, you know, we know you're waiting, but other people are waiting on other things and we're in the middle of a pandemic and everyone's focused on COVID. And I was like, I get that. But also (laughs) I need to know, you know, I've spent 12 weeks waiting. We hadn't started blood testing or anything. Like at this point I could have cancer and we're just waiting around not knowing because you won't start blood tests until you have those results. Mm -hmm. Um, I ended up back in hospital because I had a really big bleed and was passing like golf ball clots. Um, Whilst I was in hospital, one of the nurses let me know that part of my results had come back and our baby had had triploid syndrome, which is the three sets of chromosomes. Um, But you can have a baby with triploid that doesn't end up being a partial molar. Mm -hmm. Um, So they were like, you know, we can see at this point you have had triploid, they're still testing your placenta. Um, And then about two weeks later, they let us know that it was, in fact, another partial molar. Um, which led to six months of weekly blood tests um, because once you've had two, your chances now of cancer are increased and they wanted to just really rule out that, um, you know, my levels, once I got to negative, they could still come back. Um, So once I got to negative, I still had to have another three months of testing. Um, Mm -hmm. At that point, they were still just like, if you want to try again. (laughs) And I was Mm -hmm. like, what in the actual fuck? No, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And they were like, you know, once you've had one, it's one in 1,200. Once you've had two, it's one in 100. Once you've had once you've had two, your chance of a third is one in four. And yeah. I was like, that's fucking shitty odds, guys. Yeah, that's not good. Like you had yeah. a, a 99% chance that you'd be fine the last time yeah. and you were the 1%. Like, Yeah, I was like, <sighs> I can't do it again. Like, mm. um, So we ended up venturing down the road of IVF um, and seeing whether they would be able to help because they could test the embryo rule out triploid syndrome, which would then rule out a partial molar. Mm-hmm. Um, and that took about a year. Um, we ended up learning a lot um, actually during that process of what was actually mm-hmm. happening with our pregnancies because mm-hmm. they could obviously see what was happening with our embryos outside of my body. Mm-hmm. Um, so like our first round, we didn't get a single embryo um, and our doctor was kind of confuzzled because she was like you know I expected your embryos to perform as a pair of 26 year olds embryos perform um, yeah. and they did not 
And I was like, yes. <laughs> um, and yeah, and she was really confused as to how our eldest was even here. Um, mm. She was like that she somehow has just made it through because every single one of your embryos is a dud. Like, yeah, um, thanks. <laughs> like, she was like somehow like she was meant to be here and she, you know, universe knew you needed her and mm-hmm. she came through and she was just a miracle baby. Um, mm-hmm which which is nice but like at the same time isn't really fucking helpful when you're again you know I think it's really important to know to you guys yeah Ash is only what are you 27 now 27 now so yeah we were 24 when we started trying again yeah so like at 24 years old that this was happening so it's not something that just happens to you know people in their late 30s that they can't fall pregnant or they're having issues like this like yeah Ash is really young really healthy like you know, exercises really well, you know, eats really well, like super, super healthy young woman and was having all of these problems. So, you know, I think, I think that that's, that really speaks to sort of, it can happen to anybody that I think just isn't spoken about. So you'd just been through your first round of IVF. You had no embryos to show for it. So what did you do next? Um, We, started a new protocol with the IVF team. So they changed some of my medication. Um, Our first round, we only got 10 eggs. um, And they were kind of like, you know, for your age, for your health, you should have a few more. Um, Let's try and get some more. And then we've got some better odds. Um, So we changed up um, my medication, which meant another two injections a day. So we were now on three injections a day for two week period. Um, And then we did our second round Um, We ended up with 19 eggs, um, which we were super thrilled about. Um, (laughs) And then um, we got 12 that fertilised and there's a percentage chart that they give you that says, you know, of 12, you know, you'll probably have eight that fertilise and then you'll have six that make it to day five and, you know, four of those will be good quality. Um, So by that nice statistic chart, we should have had, some embryos come day five that were able to be tested and then hopefully transferred. Um, Mm -hmm. They caught us on day three and we had four that were looking good still. um, And they caught us on day five and none of them had made it. Mm. Um, And it was just like soul shattering. Like I remember just calling my mom, calling my partner and just being like on the floor, literally like hysterical that it hadn't worked again and they just couldn't like they couldn't work out why and it just felt like the end of the road um and you know they said you know you've got embryos that have a really good inner cell mass that forms the baby but they have no outer cell mass they Mm. the placenta would never form um and they're like which obviously wouldn't last they're like so possibly Mm. that's what's happened in three of your early losses that these things are happening and obviously things that can't keep going so you're having miscarriages um yeah or vice versa we would have a good outer cell mass but there was no baby that was ever going to form yeah um and so we kind of started looking at other options my um sister offered me some eggs you offered me some eggs <laughs> <laughs> um, there was you know there was so much support um around us but you know we just needed to kind of see where we were at um mm. Connor was kind of at the end of the road. He's like, I can't keep going. You can't keep going. Like this is taking such a toll on your mental health. You know, I was short with my daughter. I was, you know, so I wasn't present properly with her. And I felt 
you know, like an awful mother because I was so focused on what I wanted instead of what I already had. And then there was this mum guilt on top of this grief on top of this Yeah, it's a lot going Um, on. Yeah. And, um, you know, and then the financial burden, you know, it's roughly 20 grand an IVF round. Um, Mm. My parents helped us out um, with the third round, um, Mm. which we did end up doing, but we did have to... um, borrow money from them because we couldn't afford to do another round um but my mum said you know don't don't let the money be the factor be it like you need to be done and know that you are done um not not do it because of money um which you know we were really fortunate that we had that opportunity um Mm. and unfortunately a lot of people don't like it is such an expensive thing to go through yeah Yeah. you know the mental and emotional and physical burden um and so we did end up doing a third round. Um, they again changed our protocol. They put our embryos in like a high calorie solution. Um, they started me on like a thyroid medication just to kind of, they were just throwing everything in the kitchen sink at it and seeing what stuck. Um, mm-hmm. And we um, did, so we had been doing ICSI, which is they take a single sperm and they inject it into the embryo. Um, and our doctor thought that possibly, sorry, inject it into the eggs. Um, mm, yeah. <laughs> possibly my eggs were just not holding up to that, um, that mm. they were fragile and they couldn't handle it. Um, so they did, we got another, we got 20 eggs. Um, so they did 10 with the ICSI, they picked a nice looking sperm and injected it in and they did 10 with, um, they just lay the eggs on a table, essentially, pour some yep. sperm on top and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, we ended up with, um, I think, 10 that fertilised. Um, mm-hmm. And by day five, we actually had five embryos, um, mm-hmm. which was wild. <laughs> um, yeah. And they all had to be sent off for testing. Um, and we waited two weeks and four of them were good embryos that did not have triploid syndrome that were yeah. able to be transferred. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, yeah, it was about a month later that we did our first transfer and um, we were super lucky that our first transfer stuck and mm-hmm. we made it through an entire pregnancy and <laughs> we now have our baby girl, which oh. is just <laughs> wild. Um, it has, honestly, it's yeah. been it's been an insanely wild journey to watch from the outside, um, you know, obviously, um, our mum's group was quite large and we were very lucky that quite a lot of us were still quite close. Um, and, you know, a lot of a lot of people were having their second babies, their third babies. Like I know that your last, I believe your last molar, you fell pregnant around the same time that I fell pregnant with my daughter who did eventuate. Um, and like, you know, of course not to take away from, from you, but like I know I felt a large amount of guilt around that, yeah. you know, and I'm sure that, you know, it was it was hard for other people to sort of, you know, and, and obviously hard for you to listen to it. So yeah. like, Ash, I'd love to hear, you know, obviously not worrying about offending anybody, but like how how that impacted you, like how having other people and close friends of yours who you saw regularly announcing pregnancies, like I know that you're a beautiful person and you were so happy for us, but at the same time, I'm sure that there was, you know, that little inner voice that was just like, I never want to fucking see you again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was, um, 
it was difficult, um, probably more difficult than I suppose I let on and the, mm. um, more difficult than I thought it was going to be. Um, you know, all these babies around us that, you know, I love and adore and, you know, obviously want them in the world. Yeah. Um, but especially things like, you know, falling pregnant at the same time as people and then watching exactly what you could have had. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think I was one of the very last kind of in our friendship circle and mum's group to have had a second. Um, mm. And it definitely felt that way sometimes, like, you know, you weren't, you know, you weren't a real mum yet, you know, you've only got one, <laughs> yeah. Like, um, yeah. which, you know, seemed to be some of the, um, like, things that I was just hearing around, like not from anyone saying directly to me or anything. Yeah. Um, and perhaps it was just as well my own. Um, you yeah, know, you were picking it. Think, yeah, this is what mm. I think people are thinking. Or this it was is projections. Think. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, things like going to birthday parties and going to big gatherings with all the people. And yeah. There was, you know, kids everywhere and, um, you know, sometimes. Pregnant bellies. Be, and Yeah. Um, and yeah, people that are yeah pregnant and having babies, and then I'm like, you know, I need to duck out and do another injection, and mm, <laughs> for, the, yeah. you know, for the hope of um, it happening again um, was really difficult. And you know, sometimes I would get home from those things and just burst into tears, and um, you know, need a couple of hours of recovery time. Um, yeah, and it was, you know, it was difficult, but we had such a you know beautiful group of people surrounding us who I knew wanted this for us just as much as we did um and people were like you know we you know let us know if we can help you know we want to be able to do things and it was just really kind of unfortunate that there really was nothing to be done like it was just it was what it was um but I think the greatest help for me was knowing that people um were checking in and that you know a lot of it's um kind of in that immediate aftermath of a miscarriage and a loss, people are quick to check in and see how you're going. And then, you know, two months later, four months later, 12 months later, it's your world is still revolving around that and people move on. Yeah. Um, and it was really nice when people remembered dates or they remembered, um, you know, that maybe it had been 12 months, but I was still struggling and they checked mm. in Um was always yeah really appreciated and you know made made us feel a little less alone and like mm. it, we, it wasn't just us yeah I guess like on that note um you know obviously yeah when something like that happens there's not really a huge amount that you can do and I remember you know when you would tell us about another miscarriage or another you know, like, yeah, that you'd, you'd got no embryos from that IVF round and we would just be like, what the fuck? Like we were all in tears with you and it was just so awful. And I know that we had no idea what to do and all that we were like, we were like, okay, let's go get food. We'll bring her food yeah. and we'll bring her like care packages. And we just don't know what else to do at this point. So like, I'd love to know what were some things that people did for you that really stood out as like super helpful for maybe those people listening who haven't experienced this, but are trying to support friends through it. Um, So yeah, what did you find the most? And I mean, obviously this is going to be different for everybody, but like aside from people checking in and, you know, 
thinking of you and and that sort of thing like what were the the more helpful things that people were doing or saying yeah I think um well I'll start with the things people did that sucked um, <laughs> <laughs> like so um I found some people were very quick to be like you know it could be worse this could have happened <laughs> at least this hasn't happened um, you're still you know, young you can try again yeah. And I'll, yeah um well you know you've got your daughter just be grateful for that um and it was like this feeling of like you know I, I'm grateful for her like don't it yeah yeah I can be grateful like were, and miserable like yeah 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 it yeah. felt like people were almost questioning my gratefulness for Kyla because I wanted another and it like yeah. And it really sat heavily on me that people were, you know, saying things like, you know, um, you'd be grateful for her. At least you've got her. Maybe, you know, you know, one is better than none. And it was like, yes, a hundred percent. I recognize that. And mm. if she was all we were ever going to have, then she's incredible. And we are so grateful, mm-hmm. but I can feel those feelings whilst also feeling, you know, absolutely terrified and grief stricken and really upset um yeah which yeah and then the things that people did that were actually really nice um Mm. care packages were always beautiful much appreciated (laughs) when I got home and you know there was things like you know my favorite treats and you know a pair of slippers to Mm. get comfy and Mm. um you know people offering to take our eldest so that um, we could either have some time together or I could just have some time to decompress, um, you know, because I was very aware of kind of not burdening her, obviously, when she was three, four, five years old yeah. with all of the problems going on. Um, you know, she just wanted a sibling and, you know, she would say, you know, how come, you know, Ollie's got a brother and a sister? Mm. You know, where's where's my brother? Where's my sister? And, yeah. you know, it was just, you know, a I'm trying, babe, you know, and yeah, unfortunately, some things aren't going well. And, you know, mommy and daddy are seeing the doctors now and, you know, the doctors are going to help us, but maybe it's just going to be me, you and daddy. And, you know, we're cool. Like we're, we're a family and that's okay. And, um, you know, she'd be like, yeah, yeah, that is okay. And so it wasn't only, you know, what I felt like I was losing for myself, but I felt like, I was letting her down Mm. and I was letting my partner down that you know I couldn't carry these babies you know it felt like it was something that was you know I suppose wrong with me and you know even though it was you know it's a team effort but it was like it must be something I'm doing um and yeah so you know just I think just being there and recognizing hey this fucking sucks and Mm that validation um like that validation was everything because you know there were days that I was like god maybe I should just be over this maybe I should um you know maybe I am wallowing or you know yeah yeah go through much worse I have a daughter and I am so lucky Mm. um but having people reach out and say you know you you're allowed to feel this way um was such a big revelation for me um with like my own healing as well and being like you know what actually I am allowed to feel this way and I need Mm. to give myself space to feel what I am feeling because otherwise, you know, you shove it down and shove it down and shove it down and it will very quickly catch up to you um, and you can only run so far and so fast before, you know, it rugby tackles you to the ground. Um, (laughs) 
yeah um I think as well like you know in terms of your healing journey like outside of what everybody else did um Ash is in in addition to an incredible mother and um, you know, she works in all of the things, but she's also a published author. You've got two collections of poetry, which we definitely noticed you sort of deep dived into when you found that um, an outlet. So, you know, can you talk to us a little bit about like that and about, you know, other other things that you did to help with your healing journey? Yeah. Um, yeah. So obviously the poetry was a big one. Um, I've always been like... Uh, a writer, you know, mm. it feels feels real pompous calling myself a writer. Um, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a person, yeah, I'm a, I am a poet. I am a person who sometimes writes poetry in the dark of the night. <laughs> um, but yeah, being able to write was really um, helpful in like getting things out. But also, I found it really helpful in showing other people what I was feeling. Mm. Um, you know, and a lot of it I wrote without the expectation of ever sharing and then I made like a private page on Instagram um, mm-hmm. which is now public and is very scary because like yesterday two of the school mums that I see at drop off followed me on my poetry page <laughs> and I was like oh no <laughs> like <laughs> they know me now like they thought I was full normal up until now <laughs> <laughs> now they know my entire story <laughs> now they know. Um, because some of you know some of what I write it is I suppose, confronting um, in that, you know, I write about my experiences, but also like the feelings afterwards. Um, You know, my mum read my book and then my grandmother wanted a copy of my book and I was like, mum, she can't read it. Mm. Um, And I was like, why not? I'm like, because it's fucking depressing. And like, it's very like, you know, it it was essentially my soul on these pages. Mm-hmm. And it felt very vulnerable and very mm-hmm. like I'd been cracked open and people were pouring through my soul. Um, yeah. And my mum said, you know, Nan's got two friends who went through something very similar and there was no support then. And her friends actually want a copy of this book and they want to see that women are talking about this now and yeah. they're supporting each other and it's not something that's taboo and hidden. And, the, you know, like we are allowed to speak about these things, um, yeah. which was massive for me. Um, you know, my Nana bought five copies and had me sign them and send them down to her and she gave them out to her book club. That's so cute. It felt so scary. But then I had these women who are 80, 90 years old who had lost babies, you know, 40, 50, 60 years ago. Um, and they were like, you know, thank you for writing this because wow. I had never spoken about what I'd been through. Um, you know, it was something we very much packed up and put away in the cupboard and, you know, you didn't even talk about it to your husband. You just, you just Got went on. on. Yeah. Um, which, you know, was. So fucked wild. up. It was, yeah. And I found that, you know, the more I write, the more I have people reach out to me um, and, you know, thank me for what I'm writing and saying, you know, I, I didn't know how to express what I was feeling and you've done it for me. Mm. And, you know, thank you for that. And I'm, you know, I'm sending my partner to your page and I'm sending my friends to your page so that they can see, you know, I can't tell you what I'm feeling, but read this because yeah. this is what I'm feeling. And this is the, you know, the depth of the pain and the grief. Um, and, you know, my, my fiance still has not read, he does not read my poetry. Um, <laughs> and I think it's because it's very confrontational for him. Yeah. Um, he really struggles with seeing it and, 
you know, there's the pain for him mm. and then there's the pain that he knows I'm going through and he's like, there was nothing I could do to take that pain away from you. Yeah. Um, you know, you were, I could see that you were in this place and I couldn't help you. Um, yeah. you know, all we could do was, you know, try to lean on each other, but I couldn't make it better, yeah. um, which, you know, was hard for both of us in that, you know, I wanted to be better so that you didn't have to, you know, tackle this with me. Um, yeah. And, yeah, you know, my mum read my book and, you know, she said to me, I didn't, I didn't realise. Um, I didn't realise it was, it was this hard and it was this bad. Um, and, yeah, it did, it helped to show people what it really was. Um, yeah. And to also, you know, have that outlet for myself to be able to kind of take some of that pain that was, you know, sitting in my stomach um, yeah. and let it live elsewhere. Yeah, which I think, like, you know, we're probably going to have to wrap up here because, you yeah. know, this has been, it's, it, we could go on for yeah. hours, I'm sure. But, like, I think that the note that I would really like to leave this on, Ash, is, you know, you we've been speaking for, what, you know, 35, 40 minutes here. And, you know, you've almost burst into tears three or four times. And I think it's really important to validate that even though you have your beautiful second daughter who is resting on your shoulder right now, that it still doesn't take away the pain of what you experienced and the what ifs of those, you know, five other beautiful souls that, you know, didn't make it, um, didn't make it earthside and, and that it's you know, that there's so much duality and grief that you can be so incredibly grateful for your two beautiful girls and you can still mm -hmm. grieve for the fact that there were five that didn't make it and you can be, you know, done with your kids but also like, oh, you know, grateful that you managed to get two but also so incredibly pissed off with how hard it was and the journey that you had to go through and the way that the medical system just really fucking let you down a lot of times. Um I hope that, you know, anybody listening to this who has been through something similar to Ash, um, you know, I hope that you you can find some solace in this, that there are other people who are experiencing um, experiencing things like this. And we will link Ash's Instagram page into the show notes. You can grab her books um, via Amazon. And if you are going through anything like this, I highly recommend them. Even if you're not, they're beautiful reads. Um you know, don't know a lot of people that can write the way that Ash can. Um, but Ash, thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing so vulnerably what you went through. Um, you are truly a huge inspiration to me, someone who was wise well beyond her years. Um, we are just, oh, now I'm going to start. We are, so, <laughs> we are so incredibly proud of you and honestly just watching, watching what you went through to bring to bring your girls into the world like I I'm sure that there are so many people that would not have been able to to manage it and you know the the pain that you went through and you still just get kept getting up and just not letting it knock you down was just honestly fucking I've never seen anything like that strength that you just like so thank you again for coming on and sharing with us you for 
I'm sure so many people that are going to listen to this and then continuing to advocate for women in your in your situation. Thank you. Thanks, Steph. It's it's been a it's been a lovely chat. <laughs> <laughs> very, very, very um, yeah, very uh shallow and <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, thank you thank so you. much, guys. Yeah, I appreciate um giving the space to talk about this. Yeah. absolutely thank you so much everybody for joining us for another episode of the feel good parenthood podcast um, we will sign off and we will see you next time we hope this episode has encouraged the shit out of you if you have loved it as much as we've loved recording it then rate our show screenshot share and tag us and you can find us at feelgoodparenthood underscore on instagram see you next time